Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. We're continuing on through the book of Acts. So you can turn there in your Bible or it will be on the screen behind me. Looking forward to looking at this passage with you today. I missed you, church. I was in Tampa last weekend. And uh, anytime I'm gone from you, um, I miss you. And I often return home um, just filled with so much gratefulness for you all. And um, yeah, and so much love in my heart for you all. So we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. But before we do, uh, let's just remind ourselves where we are in the story. So by this point, we have seen the early church weather some pretty critical storms. Um, They've received the power of the Holy Spirit, right? They have um, already faced threats of violence and persecution in response to the miraculous power of God working through them. The apostles themselves, the original disciples of Jesus, have already experienced physical torment and pain by this point in the story at the hands of the religious leaders. They've also weathered the storm of people trying to infiltrate their ranks with uh, false motives. Are we okay? Is everything okay? Okay. With false motives. Um, And we've watched the Lord defend the movement that he's building. And I just want to remind you that at every turn of this, it's Jesus who is the main character of the book of Acts. Right? We've said that. Ultimately, this book is not the acts of the apostles or the acts of the early church. It's the acts of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And even in passages like this, which we're going to look at today, that might not explicitly put the attention on Jesus. We should see him in the background of these narratives, of these stories. We should see that he is the one who's controlling and moving and shaping the church all along the way. Because the church, right, is not some memorial to a dead martyr, right? The church is a living organism governed by a resurrected Lord, right? And we look to him still to be our guide and to be Lord of his church. Um, And I think today there's some really interesting things in this passage about church structure and about culture and about what it means for us to be a family on mission. So many times it's our custom to stand in honor of God's word. I'd ask you to do that today, and I'll begin reading in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, we need you all the time, and we need you now. I need you now. 
And I pray that as we look at your word, that you would speak something deep to our hearts that makes us more confident than we were when we walked in here for the mission that you've called us to. And Lord, we are so thankful that you've made us a family, but you've made us a family on mission. Um, that you've called us strategically into your purposes and plan for the world. And Lord, in so many ways, because of the cross, our lives are just filled with meaning. And we are grateful, Lord, um, for including us, for being so accessible to us. And Lord, we just welcome your spirit now to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I organize my sermons in different ways when I stand before you like this, um, but today what I want to do is really just to make some observations out of this passage, Acts 6, 1 through 7, and I hope there'll be something in this that the Spirit will use to build your confidence in the mission. So my first observation is just this, that church programs and structures should always serve the mission and never stand in the way of it, right? Um, it's interesting, this passage that we just read is really the first time that the church on any level forms what we would call a program, right? Um, up until this point, everything that the early disciples, the early believers have experienced is completely organic. But around here at Crestmont, we'll often talk about how there's this tension between the organic and the organized, right? Um, the organic is what happens purely relationally, and it is true that the kingdom moves along relational lines. And so it's very interesting that without any programs, organized budgets, buildings, anything like that, the church has made it this far in its mission completely along organic lines. But now something has happened. Um, a group of people have been overlooked. I'm going to say more about that in just a second. But it requires the church to get more, a little more organized than they had been before. And so this whole thing where they're selecting people to uh, oversee a program, essentially, where food is going to be distributed and they're going to make sure that people aren't getting overlooked, it's really the first program that the church ever has. But here's what I want you to see. Programs should always, the structure of the church, the organization of the church, the leadership of the church, however it's organized, should always and only ever serve the mission. It should never get in the way of it, right? It's very interesting what the end of this passage says, what kind of how the whole story wraps up in verse 7. It says that the word of God spread, the outcome of all of this, wasn't just that people were taken care of, even though that is what happened. It's also that the word of God spread. And as a matter of fact, the conversions that they begin to see become a bit more dramatic because now there's priests, those in the religious establishment, who are also turning to Jesus. They are seeing the increase of power in their ministry, the increase of power in the mission. And getting organized a bit facilitated that, but it didn't get in the way of it. I, I hope that you see here that they're not just forming a program so that they can comfort and coddle people to death. They're organizing a program so that they can include people who otherwise are going to fall off the train but are critical to the mission. I'm going to say more about that in a second. Um, it's important to the apostles that these people are not forgotten, overlooked, left off the train, partly because they're critical for the mission as well. And I hope you see that the selection of these leaders, 
which we call deacons. That word in the Greek literally just means servant. But the selection of these leaders is not about just filling some positions, like you fill a position at a social club, right? Um, This is only about facilitating the mission, about structuring in such a way so that we get to verse 7, where the word of God is still spreading, where conflict has been avoided that could derail the church from its mission. Um, I think this is important for us to recognize. Maybe you don't think about this as much as I do, but I know that many of you do. It's important for us to recognize this because we live in a day and age in which many, many churches have different kinds of motivations for why they form programs, and oftentimes it's to get more people in their buildings, translate more money, to keep more people happy, all of those kinds of things. And listen, I don't, I don't want to be too harsh this morning. I'm not saying that programs don't have their place or even that those programs aren't accomplishing good things. I'm just saying to me, however we organize, if it is not causing us to reach the next group of people on the mission, wherever the Spirit is leading us, it is, it is a misstewarding, right, of time and leadership and resources. The tone of the New Testament is so clear. The time is short, right? There's an urgency to the mission. We don't have time for programs that just entertain us, right? We don't have time to invest in places that don't forward the mission, right, in some kind of way. And so, yes, this is a passage about comforting and caring for people, and we should be that kind of family, right? It's why we call ourselves a family on mission. We're not just on mission, we're a family on mission. And part of that is caring for one another. And yet we do it in a way that carries us to the next step, the next thing that God is calling us to. I want our church to care for you, but I also want our church to care for you in a way that mobilizes you for the mission, right? Um, That champions in you the next thing that God is calling you to, right? That's calling you forward, and to the next assignment that God has for you. And that's what's happening in this passage. Um, I said this uh, a few sermons ago, and I interrupted myself, which I do often in my sermons, and I never completed the thought, so I'm going to revisit it. Um, you know, a, kind of a radical thing that's happened at Crestmont, that I don't know that we ever set out to do in the last 10 years, is at this point in the life of our church, pretty much, not entirely, But pretty much anything that you would truly call a program, an organized, structured program for us as a church, happens on Sundays, including this gathering in a way. Um, It's kind of one day a week at this point for us. Um, That's interesting for a growing, vibrant church, right? It's interesting that we have so few programs (laughs) as a congregation. I can tell you, we didn't set out to do that. Um, all that happened was the more, this is really what happened, it wasn't even my idea, it's that the more that you got mobilized for mission, um, we just calibrated the organized and the organic in our church life, right? And we realized we still need some structure, we still need some programs. If you show up tonight at 6 o'clock, you will find a program for everyone in the family, right? But we also realized that we needed to reorganize our structures and our ways of thinking and doing things so that we could be freer to move with the Spirit quicker to the next place that he was leading us. I don't know if that's exciting to you or not. That's exciting to me. Here's the next observation I want to make. The mission moves by the sharing of power 
in the laying on of hands, not the hoarding of it. The mission moves by the sharing of power, not the hoarding of it. Um, this is going to turn a lot of the way, at least the American church thinks, but I think it's so critical to understanding how God moves. So we live in a day and age, whether it's in business or in politics or sadly in many churches, that we think movements are formed or influence or leadership happens along the lines of hoarding power and influence, right? That the more of it we have, the more influence we have or something like that. But what we see here is something different. The apostles recognize that something has to be dealt with, and so they strategically select these individuals, and they lay hands on them. I want to say this about the laying on of hands, which is something we do often here at Crossmont. A church on mission lays hands a lot, right? A church on mission prays over people a lot, right? Like every service at the end of service, right? We're laying hands on people and praying for them. Well, listen, that is not just symbolic, and neither is it magical, but something real is happening when we lay hands on someone and send them out. See, the apostles, this is more than symbolic, the apostles are actually giving something away that they have to give. And by the way, that's all you can give away, it's just what you have to give, right? But they're giving away what they've received. They're giving away their influence, their power, their creativity. They're laying hands on other people to do this work. Please do not read this passage like the apostles are just like delegating some secondary tasks to another group of people. It is true. They have a sense of their assignment, which is prayer and the word of God, and they want to stick to that and manage their time well. But you should recognize that in the following chapters, these deacons are going to preach the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick, right? They're going to uh, go into new territory with the message of Jesus. Stephen, we're going to preach on this in the next two weeks. Stephen is about to become the first Christian martyr in the history of the church. These are not just some like task managers, right? These are Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-empowered people who through the laying on of hands have received what they need to do the next part of the ministry. Now listen, the church needs leadership and it needs influence. But I want you to see that your baptism is your ordination for the ministry. Amen. You have the same Holy Spirit I do. Say, you may not have that piece of paper that I have in my office that says I'm an ordained gospel minister by the Christian Missionary Alliance. You might not have that paper, but I'm telling you, you can forge into new territory as an apostolic leader the same that I can <laughs> because you have the same Holy Spirit right? Um, think about this. In Acts chapter 2, what happened? Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. Whatever you see Pentecost as being, you have to see that it's more than just the miracles that happened. It's more than just speaking in tongues. It's more than just the preaching that happened and the people who came and decided to become followers of Jesus that day. It is about God sharing his own power indiscriminately with his people. God shares what he has to give with the church and fills his people with power to do it. 
Um, he gives it away. Listen, some of you are beginning to lead ministries. This is one of the best pieces of advice I think I can give you from Scripture because some of you are starting to lead new initiatives in the community and you're leading. Some of you are even going globally and leading new ministries. We have an incredibly creative group of people here. But here's what I want you to see. If you want your leadership and influence to expand and grow, let me tell you a secret. Give away what you have. That's how you do it. We often think that the more we hoard, we'll have more leadership and influence. If I just have more volunteers or more money or more people, or, and it sounds very religious and reasonable because we want to use all these things for kingdom ministry, but here's what I can tell you. Give it away. Give away what you have. Um, influence or leadership or whatever, but it is in the empowering of other people. It is in giving it away that that the impact grows. And if you need proof, look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Our Savior died with nothing left. Naked on a cross. Gave the very last bit of his life. And that moment is the moment of our salvation. That moment is the moment of the devil's defeat. That moment is the moment where the whole course of history turned around when Jesus emptied himself completely. See, there is nothing more Christian than leading in such a way that we spend ourselves completely in service to other people. There's nothing more Christian than that. It's at the cross, it's at Pentecost, but very few Christian leaders actually step into that because they're afraid to let go of control. Because they're afraid of what will happen if we really let go. Here's what will happen if you really let go. Revival will start. <laughs> that's what will happen okay there's more I could say about that but we're just going to go to the next part here alright <laughs> next observation the less we've been overlooked the more blind we are to those who have been the less we've been overlooked the more blind we are to those who have been let's, let's talk for a minute about the conflict that really has developed here in Acts chapter 6. It says that the Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. You may remember we read in earlier chapters that the love of God was so strong among these early believers that they were sharing everything they had, including their resources. There was no needy among them. They're caring for each other. But in the midst of this kind of organic forward momentum of the love of God, a group of people gets overlooked, and it's these Hellenistic Jews. Now, here's what I want you to see. The Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews are both Jews by ethnicity and ancestry. Um, before they met Jesus, they likely believed the same basic things. They were practicing Jews. And now, as followers of Jesus, they believe in the same Lord, the same Christ. Um, so the difference between them is not theological. They believe the same things. They believe the same things for a long time. What's the difference between them? The difference between them is cultural, right? And here's why. It's because the Hebraic Jews were the Jews who lived in Jerusalem or the lands that surrounded Jerusalem. It's likely that they spoke some Greek, but they mostly spoke Aramaic, right? 
The Hellenistic Jews were Jews who had probably at some point in their lives, they or their families, had lived elsewhere in the Roman Empire. They had had a more wide cultural exposure. And while they probably spoke Aramaic, they mostly spoke Greek. I don't know if you know this, but the language that we speak deeply affects how we see the world. Um, People who speak more than one language, maybe some of you do, have a capacity to see the world from different angles. But the language that you speak uh, puts a lens in front of your eyes for how you see the world. Probably most of us in here are English speakers. We don't even realize it, but that affects the way we see the world. It affects the way that we understand things. These believers have a difference in language. There's a cultural difference that has happened here, and one of those groups has been overlooked. This is an amazing thing about this passage. It's almost unheard of in ancient uh, recordings of movements and leaders um, to put anything that looks like a vulnerability of the leader in the record. Um, The fact that this story is even here for us today is evidence of the humility of the early church. But they didn't take themselves too seriously. They were able to talk about their mistakes, right, and see where they had messed up. And here's where the apostles had messed up. I doubt it was prejudice. I doubt that they had any actual bad feelings towards these Hellenistic Jews. They accidentally overlooked them because of a cultural difference. This group of people got left behind. And this is just the truth. The more that you have been overlooked in life, the more you notice when other people are overlooked. But if, generally speaking, you haven't been overlooked, then it's harder for you to see it. It doesn't mean you don't care. It just means you might not be able to see it. I can stand in front of you and tell you that I am one of those people that without critical relationships with other people, it's harder for me to see when people are being overlooked because that was not a core common experience in my life growing up. Uh, When I was, uh, right after my freshman year of college, many of you know this, I went to the north side of Pittsburgh to work for a community development organization there. And it was the first time that really I had worked with a staff that was as diverse as that culturally, economically. And I I remember it was like my world blew up because I had only seen the world one kind of way. And many of my friends um, who were cultural or ethnic minorities or grown up in poverty had known the pain of being overlooked in a way that was just foreign to my experience. And without their friendship, I would still be blind today, right? I still wouldn't be able to see it. Um, Now, Here's what I've found. When a group in the church, whether they're a cultural or ethnic minority, or they are poorer than other people, or maybe they're overlooked for any other reason, many times when they raise their concerns, well-meaning Christians respond either by being defensive or dismissive to their concerns. It's true. Um, They either get defensive. Well, I didn't mean to do anything. I didn't do anything. I don't have any bad feelings toward you. You might truly not, but you still might have been part of overlooking, not hearing, not knowing, not listening. Um, Or they get dismissive. Oh, they're exaggerating. They're too sensitive. They're making it up. Friends, we live in a day in which this is a major wound in the American church. Do you know this? There are many wonderful Christians, wonderful people, um, who grew up with experiences of being overlooked that maybe you and I haven't, 
who do not feel at home in many churches because they feel like if they told their story, people are going to be defensive or dismissive of their concerns. I love what the apostles do here because they do neither. They don't get defensive and they don't dismiss it. They just say, no, you know what? You're right. We didn't see you. We didn't understand. And we're going to correct it. And we're going to correct it by strategically giving away power so that your needs can be met too. And by the way, very interestingly, they give this power away to people who are themselves Hellenistic Jews, right? They don't try to just fix it for them. They give away their power to the group that has complained. That has Jesus written all over it. That's how Jesus interacted with people, right? And it's what they're doing as well. So we listen and we understand and we respond by giving ourselves away. My next observation, you are not overlooked in the kingdom. Nope, 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 nope. You're not overlooked in the kingdom. Anthony, if you could come and play. I, I, here's like, I've been talking kind of theoretically, so let's, let's get down to the heart of it. I want you to know this, church. Number one, I want you to know that I know how hot it is in here right now. <laughs> You're not overlooked. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> um, I want you to know this. Um, the experience of being overlooked is real. And if that's you, you need to know that in the kingdom, you need to know today that in the kingdom of God, you are never overlooked. Now, probably all of us, to one extent or another, have experienced that, at least in friendships or family or something like that. But some of us have experienced it in really deep and profound ways. Some of you may feel like you've been overlooked because of your culture or ethnicity, race. Some of you may have felt like you've been overlooked um, because you were poor, are poor. Um, some of you may feel like you've been overlooked um, because you're a woman and you were told that you could only serve Jesus in certain narrow and specific ways. First of all, you need to hear this. I'm so sorry that some of you have had those experiences. I'll be honest with you, all those categories I just mentioned, I've never experienced any of those. None of them. I believe you. I just never went through it, right? And so I need you to tell me your story. I need to understand, right? But some of you have been overlooked because you've suffered with illness or you've been overlooked because, um, you know, your friends left you or didn't see you or other, the reasons just go on and on why this happens. But you need to know this. The beauty of this story is that Jesus is working in his church to communicate this message that you are not overlooked if you're in the kingdom, right? The cross is for you, right? The Holy Spirit is for you. God is not overlooking you, right? And you have, that has to go deep down into your soul because I can tell you one thing that Acts 6 does teach us is that even in the best of churches, you will get overlooked. I would say the church at Acts 6 is pretty darn good. You're pretty darn good, Crossmont, but I would say Acts 6, they're, they're doing pretty good, right? 
This is not a struggling church, right? This is a mission-oriented, Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-baptized, empowered, filled with love, generous church. And there's still people who are being left behind. So I wish I could save you from the experience, but I'm not going to be able to save you from the experience. I wish I could tell you that I will always see you as a pastor here, that I won't overlook you. But that's probably not true either. And so deep down in us, we need something that says, God sees me. God sees my story. God sees my pain. God sees and he understands, right? That has to go deep down inside of us. Let me tell you something. When that does go deep down inside of you, you will begin to see the places where people do see too. You know, I don't know, did all of the Hebraic Jews understand the pain and the complaint of the Hellenistic ones? I'm not sure, but at least the apostles did, right? At least they understood it to some degree, and that in and of itself is an expression of the love of Jesus. But here's my last observation. It's really where I want to bring this home for us today, is that you are so not overlooked, so not left behind, so not excluded, so not marginalized, that your life is the link to the next part of the mission. Your life is the thing that God is going to use for the next part of the mission. See, one reason uh, that Luke includes this story is not to just give us some structure or understanding for deacons in the church or something like that. Um, He is providing a link in the story for how the love of God, how the kingdom, how the gospel is transferring from one cultural group to the next. And and one thing we're going to see in the book of Acts is that group is the link to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, right? Um, See, these Hellenistic Jews are an interesting group because they were truly Jews, but they had a broader experience culturally. And the amazing thing is, as the love of God filled them, as the apostles laid hands on them and gave power and influence away to them, God used everything about them, including their broad cultural experience, to provide the link, to provide the bridge to the next part of the mission. So wherever you come from culturally, that is part of the missing link for the mission of God. You need to understand that. Female and male... That is part of the link for the next part of the mission of God. Whether you grew up poor or rich, that's part of the link for the next part to the mission of God. The pain you've experienced. Um, Your story, your places of loneliness, of illness, or sexual brokenness, or whatever. It's part of the link. It's part of what God wants to use. It's why the church couldn't lose these Hellenistic Jews. It's why they needed to respond. It's why they couldn't say, you know what, just go somewhere else. You'll get taken care of. Let's just begin worshiping separately and have our own system. Sound familiar in the United States? It's why the apostles could not do that because they saw strategically that these Hellenistic Jews and their leaders were the link to the next part of the mission. And then this is deep. Watch this. Even your experience of being overlooked itself is part of the link 
to the next part of the mission. God will even use that. You feel like everywhere you go, no one notices you. You feel like no one affirms you. You feel like even in a good church that you know is filled with love, you feel like you're overlooked or ignored. You need to know this. God wants to use the pain of that experience too to lead us to the next group of people that we have not seen yet so that we can reach them with the love of God. Amen? He wants to take us to that next place. And so there's nothing about your story that's not useful for the mission. Jillian, we see you. We see you. There's anointing on your life. There's calling on your life. You're one of the sent ones from us. And we see you. You are not overlooked, forgotten. Um, God has put something powerful on your life. Amen? Amen? This is one of our called ones, right? Um, I just feel like I need to say this. Jillian is not just the person to watch our kids. Amen. <laughs> I'm so glad that she does. And quite frankly, my kids adore her. But listen, she's called. Jillian's going to heal people. She's going to cast demons out of people. She's going to preach the gospel. Right? And we're going to stand behind you. And we're going to pray. We're going to lay hands. We're going to give power away. Right? Because that's how our leadership and influence expands. And Jillian, wherever God calls you to next, you don't owe anything to us. You don't have to stay here. You don't owe anything to us. We're not looking to use you. You can go wherever God is calling you. Go, go, go. And we're with you all the way. All right? Let's give Jillian a All right. I just sense God's presence in the room. Here's what I think. Some of you have been called. Really, all of you have been, if you're in Jesus. But some of you had that experience in the presence of God where you knew that he was calling you. And you need to know this, that if it feels like that hasn't come to fruition or there's been roadblocks or if it just feels like the pain of it is too hard to bear or people aren't seeing you, mission can be lonely. Um, I just feel the presence of God in the room to reaffirm the thing he spoke to you. I have it this way in my mind, to reaffirm to you the thing that he spoke to you in the night. I just sense the Lord saying that you heard him correctly that time. You heard him correctly. And it, it may not seem like it's happened yet, but you did hear him. And the word of God does not return void. The promises that he spoke to you, he will fulfill. And he is more invested, more interested in sharing his power with you, mobilizing you than you could ever imagine because he's invested into the mission, right? So I bless the anointing on your life, the power of God on you. We have got to stop doing church in ways that celebrates the anointing of a few. Right? Because you are anointed. You are filled. You are empowered. And what God has poured into you is real. So we bless that as your church in Jesus' name. Steve, if you come up.